When they came to the place that is called the skull, they crucified Jesus there with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots to divide his clothing, and the people stood by watching, but the leaders scoffed at him, saying, he saved others. Let him save himself if he's the Messiah of God, God's chosen one. The soldiers also mocked Jesus, coming and offering him sour wine and saying, If you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over Jesus. This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged there kept deriding Jesus and saying, Are you not the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed have been condemned justly, for we're getting what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he turned to Jesus and said, Jesus... Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus replied, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. Join me as we pray together. That on this Christ the King, reign of Christ Sunday, we might hear the living word in a way that awakens us and focuses us and draws us toward your Son, O God. May Christ be central. May his life and teaching, his death and resurrection so transform us That we are empowered not on our strength but by your strength to be your good and faithful people. May the word be heard today. Even as we join together. and Pray together the prayer that the one word taught us to pray. Saying, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This day, our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Let me ask you, if you were put in charge of the church and you were given the task of coming up with the gospel reading that would for you most epitomize Jesus' power, his reign on earth, his kingdom, if you could come up with the passage that described Jesus' God connection and his strength in the end, which passage would you choose? 
the wine lovers among us might choose something from John chapter 2, where he turns the water into wine. The foodies among us might choose the passages in several different locations where Jesus changes a small amount of bread and fish into enough to feed the multitude many times over. If you're a person that likes to stand up to power, you might choose one of the many passages where Jesus speaks truth to power, where he goes up against the religious leaders of his day and speaks in words so profound and true that they could not object or counter. Or perhaps, like last Sunday, when the storms were raging through this part of our country, you would prefer to pick the story of Jesus Calming the storm on the sea. It's a lot of power. To call forth nature to alter its ways. It's impressive. Or maybe you'd choose the story from John of Jesus having the stone rolled away in front of Lazarus' tomb. And calling forth the dead to life again. I wonder if you would have chosen what was chosen for us today. The passage given on this Christ the King Sunday. The scene of Jesus hanging half-dressed upon a cross. Almost dead. Barely able to speak a full sentence while the soldiers and the criminals on either side are talking trash to him. The executors had affixed a sign above his head. The king of the Jews. They put it there to mock him. And the church has said. You're right. Do you see this? Is this a Zen kind of thing? Uh, is, this, is this a kind of a Rorschach test? How do we see? In Jesus hanging on a cross. One who has all power and all might. The one that was described by Paul as being the one that created all things and in whom all things hang together. Really? In that scene? Is this some kind of reverse psychology? Or is this like the king that uh, dresses in a disguise and goes out as a, a peasant among the people and Acts like he's poor and powerless when in fact it's a bruise. Really, he's the king? Is this like mild-mannered Clark Kent? Mild-mannered reporter from a metropolitan newspaper? Who's really Superman in disguise? Is this like Peter Parker who's really Spider-Man in disguise? Is that what this is? Am I missing something? To choose this passage for this day. It reminds me of the story of the bagpipe player who was late in arriving to his uh, playing gig. at a, He was to play for a country graveside funeral. He got turned around, he got lost, and by the time he got there, it seemed all the people were gone. The only people there were the workers, the diggers, who were about ready to fill in the hole after the burial he jumps, out of the, he jumps out of his car, grabs his bagpipe, runs up to the workers and says, I'm so sorry to be late. He looked down into the hole and he saw that the vault lid was already in place. 
He didn't know what to do, so he started to play. Played Danny Boy, played all those classic uh, bagpipe songs, ended with a rousing version of Amazing Grace. With that, he tipped his hat to the workers, got in his car, and left. One of the workers turned to his friends and said, You know what? I've never seen anything like that in my life. And I've been installing septic tanks for almost 25 years. How do we get from Jesus on the cross to the reign of Christ Sunday? Maybe it's hard to see because the reign of Christ, the kingdom of Christ is different, different than what we expect. Maybe we can't see for looking. Jesus told Pilate, when he stood before Pilate, Pontius Pilate, the person in charge, the person who seemed to have all the power, and he was asked by Pilate, are you a king? Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my followers would fight so that I would not be handed over, but I'm not that kind of king, and it's not that kind of kingdom. That's pretty clear, and yet Pilate Ignored it. Perhaps it went right over his head. Perhaps he missed it altogether. Instead, he just washes his hands of the situation. And now Pilate, the name Pilate, is one of those names that's in the collection, like with Hitler, of history's worst villains. I've done many baby dedications. I've never done one for a baby named Pilate. They do have a new form of uh, exercise or torture that they call Pilate or Pilates, as they say it more formally. But we know it's really about Pilate. And yet, to be fair to Pilate, most of us miss what Jesus said to him. Most of us either ignore or reject Jesus' clear statement that his kingdom is not of this world. That if his kingdom was of this world, his followers would fight. But it's not that kind of kingdom. He's not that kind of king. It doesn't fit our usual religious frame. It doesn't fit the cultural frame that you and I are marinated in. That says winning is everything. That says power goes to those who are right and strong and good. So we hear all throughout the Gospels, story after story, parable after parable about the kingdom of God or the reign of God. It's at the very center of everything Jesus is and says. It's what John the Baptist foretold that he would would say. He said, repent for the kingdom is coming. It's all about the kingdom, the reign of God, but it doesn't fit our frame. And so sometimes I wonder if we've taken the Lord Jesus and made him into a religion that he wouldn't even recognize. For you see, the kingdom of God, the reign of God, is about the communal as much as it is 
the individual. It's about the salvation of the world as much as it is about our personal salvation. It's about the here and the now. We prayed it together. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Where? On earth as in heaven. It's not some future kingdom. It's here and among us now being revealed. The kingdom is about radical and inclusive love more than it is about exclusive beliefs. It's about the power of love more than it is about the love of power. It's about living Jesus, not just loving Jesus. It's about being particularly Christian more than it is about being exclusively Christian. It's about Asking questions like, what is God up to? What is God calling us to do? Rather than asking questions that basically end up being answered, we've never done it that way before. Why should we do something new? One of our young adults, Anna Holliday, is a student in divinity school. She wrote a paper on the kingdom of God. She said it. The kingdom of God is this, humanity organized according to the will of God. That's pretty good. What would that look like? For the humanity to be organized according to the will of God. Pilate missed it. The first criminal missed it. He begins to goad Jesus. Hey, save yourself, save us. Don't do this vulnerability thing. Show who you are. Show your power. Prove who you are. Be Clark Kent. Whip off the glasses and show your power. But the second criminal had a different angle. He saw the whole thing differently. I don't know why. Maybe he was close enough to Jesus to hear him say, Father, Forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Maybe in that moment his eyes were open, but for some reason the second criminal could see what the first one and Pilate missed entirely. He saw that no amount of torture, no amount of shaming, no peril even to his very life was going to derail Jesus from his God connection and this kingdom, this reign that he came to announce. That second criminal could see That it wasn't about coming down from the cross and saving himself and others. It was about love for the whole world. It was about reframing the picture of who God is and what faith is all about. What this whole enterprise is. Somehow that second criminal from his vantage point saw what the other criminal, what Pilate, sometimes what you and me, are blind to. That Jesus is the king of the world as he hangs on the cross. In embodying that love so fully and so graphically, he wins. My kingdom isn't of this world. We're being called to see life differently. Sometimes when we gather in this place to worship God together, it is about what we give to God as our very lives, but it's also 
in a way, kind of a weekly eye exam. E-Y-E. How do we see the world? What frame do we look out of in order to understand ourselves and our calling and our mission as individuals and as a people gathered together under Christ? That's what we do here. That's who we are because we know we're far from perfect. We know that we're like Pilate. We're like the first criminal. We, we miss it. And sometimes even when we get it here, by the time we get home, we've forgotten it again. But thanks be to God. Jesus on the cross reminds us again and again. Come and follow me. And so that second criminal said to Jesus, Will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? I want, to, I want it. I want, to, I, want, I want what you have. I want to follow this way. Jesus' response is interesting. Because he doesn't say, today you'll be with me in my kingdom. He says, this day you'll be with me where? In paradise. Why do you use that word? Unless, I wonder, he was trying to hearken back to God's intention in Eden at the very beginning. Where things were in harmony and right when the world was ordered and powered by love. Why this passage on Christ the King Sunday? Because in the Holy One on the cross... The way and the wisdom and the very will of God is revealed as in no other moment. So on this Sunday, we invite you to turn and look at the window as we sang the Gloria Patri. As you looked at the window, I wonder what you saw. I've told before about when my younger son came into the sanctuary for the first time. He looked up at the window and said, Dad, look, a power ranger, the guy holding a sword in his hand. Some people get come and they're struck by the beauty, the vivid colors, the artist's rendering, the craftsmanship that went into the creation of the different colors of glass. Still others look at it and they see Symbols from the book of Revelation and their interpretation of it takes them to the end of times. That kind of thinking and theology that reads that, that familiar familiar book from the Bible and reduces it to some kind of power trip. God's going to have a war. There's going to be Armageddon. We're going to fight a battle and all the bad people are going to lose and only God's people are going to win. That is such a reduction and such a distortion. For Christ on the throne, his wounded hand raised in blessing, is a picture of what God wants to do, not just someday, but in every day of your life. When, when, when the darkness falls over you, 
And darkness and fear and shame and greed and violence and despair are all met with the spirit of this sacred, liberating love. And you see your situation differently. You see yourself differently. And you realize Christ is king. His way of powerless, self-giving love It's the mystery of life. Frankly, I'm glad that the Revelation window's not in front of you every Sunday as we worship, but rather behind you. Not just because I think it would compete with me as I preach, but because I love the image of being behind you as if Jesus is saying, I've got your back. This battle's been won, and I've got your back. When confusion comes into your hearts, when anger or greed or darkness surround you, Jesus is saying, I've got your back right now. Not someday, but but right now, I've got your back. I love the passage that Emily read from Colossians, where Paul has this vision of us being rescued from the powers of darkness and being transferred into the kingdom of, Christ, of God's beloved Son, Jesus. It happens right now. Tony Campolo tells a great story of a visiting in an African-American church when this very text was being preached on by a black pastor. It's one of Campolo's most famous stories. He said the pastor began sort of slowly and softly. It's Friday. Jesus is on the cross The disciples are running around like chickens with their heads cut off. But that was on Friday. Sunday's coming. Someone said, well. He said, it's Friday and Satan is dancing a little jig. Thinking that the kingdoms of this world belong to him. But that was on Friday. Sunday's coming. Someone said, preach. And it began to build. He said it was Friday. And Mary was crying her eyes out. She heard them singing, the right shall fail and the wrong will prevail. But that was on Friday. Sunday's coming. It's Friday. The world looks as it has always been, is the way that it always will be. But that was on Friday. Sunday's coming. By the end of that sermon, he would simply shout out the word Friday and the people would respond, Sunday's coming, because they go together. Because it's deeply true that Jesus reigns because sacred love is more powerful than violence or death or any other force in this creation. His realm, his kingdom, it's what's most important in life. And I know that you know this. You've had glimpses of it in your own life. You've seen it, if just for a moment, 
where suddenly the curtain parts and you realize this world isn't about acquisitions. It's not about power. It's not always being right. It's about love. In the end, it's about love. I wonder this morning if you see it. Pilate missed it. That first criminal on the cross missed it. I don't want you to miss it. This morning I got an email forward from my mother-in-law. Came sometime in the middle of the night as she's prone to do her emailing. And often they are things like, how to scour the bottom of your pots and pans or some conspiracy theory or, or another. But this email was about an event that took place back in 2007 when a violinist went into the Washington, D.C. metro station and got his violin out of his case, laid the case open and began to play. Well, people are busy, and I understand that, but people rushed by. Thousands of people went by. He played for 45 minutes. He played a very intricate Bach concerto. He played, and occasionally a child would stop and watch. But the parents would move them along. It's got to catch the train. One person or another would stop and put in a dollar or two as he played, but pretty much move on. No one really stopped, and... Listen, they had no idea that it was Joshua Bell, the renowned violinist who just a few days ago had earlier had played in Boston. The tickets started at $100 a seat. They had no idea that he was playing a violin that cost $3.5 million. For you see, they were in a hurry. They had their lives. They had to be there on time. And I'm not criticizing as much as I am acknowledging that I probably would have done the very same thing. I don't want to miss it. I don't want to miss Christ on the cross. I don't want to miss how he's king in that moment. My dad used to say to me when I couldn't find something that was right in front of me, son, you can't see for looking. Will you look again? Will you see what it is that God wants to say to you right now as Jesus hangs before you? It heals the world and brings us to the heart of God. Let's pray together. Breakthrough, we pray. Our familiarity with this story. And give us the eyes to see what is truly important. So that we may be a part of the people through the ages. Who have not only said, but lived into your kingdom coming. Your will being done on earth. As in heaven. 
In the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.